Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Hey, look, we're back. Triple Threat Theater, episode 44. I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Millsy. Yes? Let me ask you a question. Please. What is our MO here at Triple Threat? Our modus operandi, as they say. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what you mean by that, but uh, I, I guess it's that we watch and review three somehow thematically linked films every episode. Very true. I was going to say, it's to have fun. <laughs> there, there I go, overthinking it again. And Mills, I'm going to come out and say it. Tonight's episode, I think, is all about the fun. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I mean, Mills, we're talking about Pulp Heroes tonight. Mm-hmm. Episode 44, Pulp Fiction. We've got 1991's The Rocketeer. Yes, we do. 1994's The Shadow. Mm-hmm. And 1996's The Phantom. Damn straight. What a group. What a lineup. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I feel like... If I were the listener and I heard that title, Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. and I could get Quentin Tarantino out of my mind, mm-hmm. I would almost immediately go to the three movies you just listed. But then stopping and thinking about it, there's actually quite a few more. Like, I, I would not have thought that, uh, you know, the pulp hero would have been, especially in modern film, I'm talking like, Mainly 90s and early 2000s would have been, you know, that popular of a subgenre. But there's quite a few of them, actually. I'll rattle off a few, why don't you? Well, I think also in that same ballpark, you've got Dick Tracy, which was the 90s. Oh, for sure. The Spirit, which was oh, like yeah. early-ish 2000s, I think. Mm-hmm. As recently as like 2010, I think, the Green Hornet movie with Seth Rogen, which... Oh. Is one of those things that just to think, like, there is a Green Hornet movie directed by Michelle Gondry starring Seth Rogen, it just doesn't sound real. (laughs) It doesn't. Like, that sounds like something from an alternate reality that happened to slip through into our time stream. I mean, well aware of that movie. You've seen it, and then just like you kind of forget it's there. And then just like you said, you're like, wait, that was a thing (laughs) somehow. (laughs) But like all of those are relatively recent. If you want to if you want to get technical in a manner of speaking, Batman more so than a superhero started out as like a, a pulp hero. He was more like mm-hmm. the shadow or someone running around with his purple sure. gloves and a pistol. I mean, changing it up a little, like Darkman. Darkman, yeah. Would have been a pulp hero. Definitely influenced by the pulp heroes even though he isn't like technically an old school pulp hero. Mm-hmm. Similar mm-hmm. with Indiana Jones, I mean, that's basically just an archetype made with like, you know, modern mindset, early eighties. Mm-hmm. See, I don't know. It's just like to stop and think about it. There's quite a few. 
and I, I, it never would have occurred to me. Like I said, mm. my mind would have gone immediately to these three. I don't, I don't know why right. they're just Lone Ranger. There'll probably be another one. Yeah, yeah. Lone Zorro. Ranger I think, kind of counts, and that movie didn't come out that long ago. Yeah, yeah. Zorro, the Antonio Banderas movie. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, there's there's quite a few of them. <laughs> yeah, they're all like vaguely similar in their own ways too. Yeah, and the vast majority of the ones we just named are like '90s, early 2000s movies. Yeah, that's true. It's, I don't know, just kind of interesting. but yeah. um, I concur. Yeah, so the three that we're going to be talking about, I had seen all of these before. Rocketeer, not like childhood favorite or anything, but I had definitely seen it when I was younger. And then at some point, I think in the early days of the Sidetracked podcast, uh, I tracked down The Shadow and The Phantom as mm-hmm. just like curiosities of like, oh, I like comic books and superheroes, and these are kind of close to that. And it had been a while since I had seen either, but I had seen all three of these before. Same for me. Seen them all. I'd say I see saw each of them like back when they came out. Like I'd seen them all a long time ago. Um, I feel like I kind of grew up on the Rocketeer. Like that was a heavy rotation movie in the Dax Burger household. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that'd be one thing I wish. Like I know we had the VHS with the cover with the. Like the with the uh, poster art that everyone knows, the Art Deco style. Yeah, I can remember playing like the Rocketeer NES game. Oh, yeah. So I've been a fan. I mean, I've kind of always liked you know me. I like I've always been into comics and movies, but also like cars and planes and tanks and jetpacks. Yeah, jetpacks, <laughs> robots. I mean, it's all it all plays Mills. So mm-hmm. I've always had some love for the Rocketeer and the Shadow too. I always thought the Shadow was cool. Um, Phantom, like not, I remember seeing it, but I like remembered like next to nothing about that one. Mm -hmm. Um, Rocketeer and the Shadow I'd seen like quite a few times. Um, yeah, it was a little vague. I remembered how the Phantom opened, but as we'll get into some, some, plenty of things in there I didn't remember, but you know, always been a fan of comics, heroes, and these, these guys all fit right in there. So Mm -hmm. plenty of history for the kid. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I would say, personally, I think there is the Indiana Jones connection that I mentioned, but would you agree with me, just in general, or even after watching the three of these movies in such a quick succession, that the popularity and style of Tim Burton's Batman in 1989 was probably the reason that most of these movies ended up happening in the 90s. Mm. Yeah, I think I could roll with you on that. I mean, they're all that, pretty that similar. With mm-hmm. with The Rocketeer being the exception here, it's primarily, like, you know, relatively wealthy or, like, well-to-do, like, you know, gentlemen who mm-hmm. have this, like, alternate personality that they, or this alternate persona that they fight crime under. They all feel kind of similar in that regard, but just... For sure. I mean, Batman took the world by storm back when it came out, and it feels like, you know, they could have gone, Hollywood could have gone just the superhero direction in general, Mm -hmm. and it's a little surprising that after Batman, we didn't get, like, Spider-Man movies and X-Men movies. I mean, you can go read on Wikipedia about how all that stuff, like, almost happened a thousand times in the 90s before they actually did in the early 2000s, but the movies that actually got made were the ones about, like, the lone, essentially human hero taking right. on, you know, the Nazis or 
whatever evil land baron type of character or whatever. I feel like, like the world needs like a like even like a short documentary about like the cultural impact of Tim Burton's Batman. Mm-hmm. Cause like I was like seven when that came out and I saw, I can remember like going to the theater. It's one of the first movies I can remember seeing in the theater. Yep. And like, I think people like, yeah, like youngsters these days, they have no idea how big of a movie that was. Mm-hmm. Cause like, I can remember like, you know, seeing stuff on TV, like people getting bat symbols, like uh, cut into their hair. <laughs> and it was just like, all, like the Prince music from that movie was everywhere. And like that Batman movie was a huge deal. Especially like when you were young, like late eighties, like you didn't have toys or anything like they do nowadays. Like, you know, you couldn't find like t-shirts with like superheroes on them, or bedspreads and all that <laughs> stuff. Like mm-hmm. that certainly came later, but like Batman was huge. So it actually does make a lot of sense that these three tonight, especially, were like on the the pre- you know, like after that came out. Yeah, especially the Shadow and the Phantom. To me, they just and stylistically, uh, especially the Shadow. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, I mean, he's another character, kind of like Batman, who his name is the Shadow. You know, he's in the darkness. He's not like the Phantom who runs around in the daylight with a bright mm-hmm. purple yeah, suit, the, riding a white horse or whatever. But. <laughs> Yeah, which I guess actually in Batman, I mean, the shadow was uh influence on Bob Kane and Bill Finger, I believe. For I mean, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Like, changes look a little, and Batman's essentially yeah. the shadow. Yeah, so the shadow was like a big deal before, like at the, the beginning for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So then yeah. they flipped it, put a movie out in 94 with mm-hmm. your boy, Alec Baldwin. <laughs> He's my boy, is he? <laughs> He's the world's boy. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know. I think there's something there. Somebody has yeah, probably sure. written a book on it, but um. some there's got to be something that would back up the idea that if Batman didn't come out, potentially one or two or three of these movies don't. So mm-hmm. I just think it's interesting to think that you know before Batman, you had like in somewhat recent memory you'd had the couple Superman movies, mm-hmm. but then Batman came along and was a different kind of superhero film. That then I would have, as I said, expected it to spawn a bunch of superhero movies, but instead it spawned a bunch of these more like down to earth pulp hero kind of movies. And then once again, like the superhero boom happens in the early 2000s. And mm-hmm. then it feels like after that, every studio was just like, well, what can we get the, the yeah. rights to? Like, no one was really clamoring for a Green Hornet movie in 2010, no. probably. But it was like, no. he's sort of like a superhero. And we right. can attach a couple of names to it, even if they don't mm-hmm. make any fucking sense. And yeah. then you get that movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I hope to review I... on this show someday. <laughs> but uh, just to, just to talk about the let absurdity me, of it all. But Let me uh, go ahead and jot that one down. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's even funny to think that, like, you know, these movies come out a few years apart from each other. And even then, like, it's it feels like they're worlds apart. But, like, I don't know, didn't, like, Blade come out in 98 or I something? I think so, yeah. Like, a couple years after the fan, a couple years after that, you get X-Men. Like, mm-hmm. it's crazy to even think, like, there's only six years between The Shadow and X-Men. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the first X-Men movie feels so long ago now. Yeah, it does, but. Man, wild times, Milzy. What a time to be alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, shall we dive into our first film here? <laughs> you know it. All right. Well, from 1991, we have The Rocketeer. 
Where's my rocket pack, Secord? You gotta let me use it one more time. I'm tired of squared answer with you, kid. I can slap you with grand theft, treason, espionage, and that's just my shortness. Willie, give me the cuffs. No, I... Look, they got my girl. Ah, oh, God, Cliff, no. Yeah, they set up a rendezvous. They want to swap Jenny for the rocket. Look, kid, I understand how you feel, but you've got to let us handle this. i got to go alone, or they're going to kill her. I'll give you a rocket back. Tomorrow. I swear. Hey, this ain't negotiation. Those guys are playing for keeps. I can handle Valentine. The Valentine gang has only hired muscle. They're working for a Nazi agent. Someone we think is highly placed in Hollywood society. Someone our intrepid G-men have been unable to identify. It's Neville Sinclair. What? It's Neville Sinclair. Come on. Yeah, sure, it makes perfect sense. That's why it was Boston Eddie's men around at the South Seas Club. That's why he has Jenny. <laughs> nice try, kid. We're taking him downtown and we're locking him up. We'll take it from here, Mr. Hughes. Let's go, kid. Hey! Uh, Rocketeer, a character created by artist Dave Stevens in 1982. Mm-hmm. And uh, he almost immediately, like, he created the character. There's not that many Rocketeer comics, all told. Right. You know, he did a couple of stories here and there. I think all of the actual stories he ever did are collected in the artist edition that I have. And that's not the thickest book in the world. Yeah, I need that myself. The art is amazing. Yeah, any, any fan of art and comics needs to have that thing. It's fantastic. Yeah. But any fan of art and comics in general should read the rocketeer as well it's just it's a good time Mm -hmm. but um yeah apparently almost as soon as he created the character uh dave stevens was like this would make a good movie and was like trying to get it made Mm -hmm. so he initially sold the rights to steve minor in 1983 the year after he created the character oh wow does the name steve minor ring any bells to you not really no uh, he's the director of the second and third Friday the 13th movies. Oh. He's responsible for the horror film franchise House. Mm-hmm. Uh, he directed Halloween H2O. Oh. And Lake Placid. Boy. Uh, the one movie in his filmography that kind of rings of Rocketeer is Forever Young with uh, Mel Gibson. Oh, I know that movie. Yeah, cool film. Yeah. Uh, and it's in that same kind of ballpark where, you know, the Rocketeer takes place in the 30s and Forever Young has that, like, classic old school. He's like a, you know, a good old boy, you know, mm-hmm. white collar American. And then he gets frozen in time and appears in the future. And That's a good it has, movie, Millsy. It is a good movie. I will agree. I but uh, so Steve Miner apparently, like, he kept trying to make changes that Dave Stevens didn't like and the rights reverted to Dave Stevens a few years later. And then uh, Dave Stevens hooked up with Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo, who are the two people who did end up writing the film. But it still took like six years for the movie to happen because apparently Disney, who produced the film, they were originally going to try and put it out through Touchstone, which was one of their like side companies that doesn't bring with it the the feeling that a movie is supposed to Mm -hmm. be like for kids or family friendly like Disney does. But then at some point they changed their mind and decided to make it an actual Disney release and try and market it more towards kids and sell like toys and and video games and stuff. And so for like six years, they kept rewriting the movie. And I read that uh, Bilson and DeMeo, the two writers, were fired and rehired from the film three times during that time period. (laughs) Because they kept trying to go in different directions and then not liking what they had and then hiring those two writers back. 
Jeez. Oh, and what was his name? The guy who directed Harry and the Hendersons actually was uh, supposed to direct the movie for the longest time, but then actually ended up leaving the film because of all of the, all of the like back and forth. Uh, his name was William Deer. Mm, okay. And then when that guy finally left the project, Joe Johnston, who was I think friends with Dave Stevens, worked for ILM for a long time. Yep. And He's got a lot of connections to Star Wars. Yeah, and loved the Rocketeer comics. Like jumped at the chance to direct the movie. And even after he got on board, Disney apparently kept trying to mess with things. Uh, like they wanted to set it in modern day instead of making it a period piece. Mm-hmm. And um, Joe Johnston threatened to quit the production if they changed that. <laughs> Wow. And uh I mean you should have. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing was they wanted to change the helmet design to make it look more like a NASA helmet. Jesus Christ. And that was another thing that he took him to task for and was able to save. So I mean, I'm gonna say this right now. This is just for life, triple threat theater, anything. Say it. The Rocket the Rocketeer is like top tier character design. Oh, yeah. Like you can't beat that design. Simplicity but with like that little bit of panache. Oh, I mean, totally. Even like, and then when you see in the movie, just like the, the mix of like textures and you know features, it's like the execution is like perfect. Like you, if you're gonna sit down, someone's gonna like write down what the rock tier is. Like you're not coming up with a better design. Yeah, I lo- I've always loved the rock tier for that reason. Like it's just like it's perfect. Mm-hmm. And actually, because I know like in the comic, like the comic. Jetpack is a lot different, correct? Uh, Isn't it kind of like more space agey? I don't know. I think it's relatively similar. I may be mistaken. I don't know if it only does it have just the one engine, maybe in the. Uh... No, I thought it was like it had like a funky color and stuff. Like, hmm. I don't own any sure. of the Rocketeer, and I've seen like that like recolored special edition. I could have swore it had like a like a funky color. It just didn't look exactly like. A, the movie version. Regardless, make circling back the, the best character design. Yeah, like I all mean, because the, the brilliant thing is, it's basically just a pilot outfit because he doesn't wear a costume. Like the closest mm-hmm. thing to the costume is the helmet, and they even give an excuse for why it has like that crazy fin on it. Yep, because it's how he like steers himself while he's flying. But like, it's just a, it's like a pilot's outfit, but with a jetpack and a helmet. Like, yeah. It's the perfect design. <laughs> when you when you get a chance, look, because I'm looking at it now, like, yeah, the, the one from the comic, it's like purple, and it almost looks like a, almost looks like a, like a Doc Savage kind of thing, like a, like a super, like, pulpy look. It looks a lot different than the, uh, the movie one. Hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while since I looked at the comic, and any of the yeah. last times I did was probably the artist edition I have, which right. is black and white, but. <laughs> yeah. So the. The change they made was worth it, and it's, like, super iconic. Like, if they were ever to do anything else with Rocketeer, he has to look the same. Like, mm-hmm. you nailed it. There's nothing to be done. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. But the thing is, like, I watched this movie, and, you know, it has its its critics, and it performed well at the box office, but, like, not as much as they had hoped, considering it's, mm-hmm. like, a high-flying action-adventure special effects movie. But, like, I look at it, and considering the time period when it was made, 
I don't know if I can imagine a better version of this movie to come out of 1991. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's Uh. pretty much perfect for what it is and when it came out. Like, obviously, looking at it now, you can see that, you know, the special effects, they show their seams. But, I mean, it was like stop motion and matte paintings and and miniatures and stuff like that back in 1991. Like, there was some CG out there in the world, but thankfully they avoided it for this movie. Yep. You know, Bill Campbell, the guy who plays the Rocketeer, I really don't know him from anything else. Like it feels no. like this was his potentially like big break and then the movie didn't do that well, so he like didn't take off and become the next like Kevin Costner or something. But whoever the fuck he is, he's great in this role. Yeah. He looks amazing in it. Jennifer Connelly, you couldn't find a better actress in the early 90s to play that character just based on her look of Betty, who they changed the name to Jenny so as not to get sued by the Mm -hmm. estate of Betty Page. Right. The kind of villain that they had, Timothy Dalton is like the perfect person to play that. Yep. And then, you know, the movie is kind of timeless in its design and it's like corny on purpose. I just can't think, I can't imagine this movie being better than this coming out in 1991. And it's just a shame that I think it's like hindsight for a lot of people. Like, I I guess at the time, people wanted something more modern or whatever and weren't like looking back at the past as like, oh, I want this kind of, you know, old timey Mm -hmm. kind of thing. But, you know. Two years out from Batman, we're like, I want, like, dark. Yeah, yeah. But, man, I honestly, I mean, not burying the lead here, I I think this movie is, like, perfect. Mm. Like, I wouldn't change a thing about it. (laughs) Yeah, there's nothing to change. High five. (laughs) I mean, we'll just come right out with it. I mean, like, you touched on actors. I mean, great villain, great mustached villain, you know, which there are going to be a few tonight as we talk about these movies. <laughs> like I said, I mean, just like the for an origin story, uh, even like the, the tie to like, you know, Howard Hughes is great. Just like how mm, everything comes yeah. about. The stunts are good. The effects are great. You know, like you said, for what they are with like, I guess it's just like rotoscoping or however they did it back then. So it's got that look. But it's just like, it just feels right. There's like, the music is like spot on. Like, this feels like a big Disney movie. Like, mm-hmm. it should. Yeah. I mean, it was. I mean, at the time, it was a 35 or $40 million budget movie, which yeah. for 1991 sounds like an awful lot. Yeah. There's that. I mean, I love, yeah, which I was a thing I never even thought of again until I'm watching. But like, Alan Arkin is great in this mm-hmm. as PV. Yeah. You know, the mechanic, like. I had to write it down because it like I had just like was beaming with a smile on my face because there's one point where like um, Cliff is like, how do I look? And he's like, you look like a hood ornament. And he takes <laughs> off. It's like, like, like a boyish grin after that. I was just like, I love it. I was just like the there's so many things like when they're like, you know, I love a good training montage or like a, a build scene. Man, when they're going, they're going through the helmet, or like when they strap the pack to that statue, and it's <laughs> yeah. like it's it's doing circles in the cornfield. It's like, dude, I love this. Like, it's so much fun. It's like the tone is spot on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's big action. You know, I even forgot about like the scene that takes place in the restaurant. 
Yeah. So it's like everything doesn't have to be like high flying. Yeah, there's a lot of humor to it where he's like riding on a ice sculpture with the jetpack and shit like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like uh, stuff like when the car dies, so he, the truck dies, so he hops in the back and turns the. (laughs) You steer it, I'll push. (laughs) Yeah, it's like stuff like that. Yeah. You know, it's got, it's got like the Indiana Jones like punch sounds. You know, mm-hmm. it just like feel like I love like the best part of it is that it takes place when it does. Yeah. And just like the ending in the comic, the ending uh, takes place in a submarine and they decided to change it to the Zeppelin, like the Nazi mm-hmm. Zeppelin in the night sky, which is just a brilliant choice. And it just feels so classic and cool where yeah. he's fighting Lothar, the big brute character oh, on top of the Zeppelin. And yeah. And speaking of that character, I mean, Lothar was like, he always stuck out in my mind just because he looks so cool and nothing makes me happier than like, as I've, you know, gone through life and discovered even more like nerdy pathways through pop culture Hmm. to learn the origin of Lothar, which is obvious if you look at the guy that they based him on is Rondo Hatton, who was a journalist turned actor back in, you know, classic cinema days like black and white movie era Mm -hmm. who suffered from uh, acromegaly which is like a problem with your pituitary gland which people used to think was the same thing as like gigantism but it basically gave him like a misformed face Mm -hmm. and i mean if you look at pictures of him it's almost spot on like the makeup that they did for lothar and uh it's just cool knowing that like dave stevens loves all that old cool shit like you know, the stuff that Indiana Jones and all was based on, like mm-hmm. an influence on um, The Rocketeer was an old uh, movie serial called Commando Cody, which is also where uh, Commander Cody, which is the name of uh, like a Star Wars character came from because George Lucas was a fan oh, of it, too. I was just going to say that sounded familiar, but yeah, I feel like. I just yeah, he's one of like the clone too. soldiers or something from like the prequel era, but. Okay. Uh, Commando Cody was like a hero who wore a jetpack and a helmet and flew around and mm. fought like gangsters. Mm-hmm. Only reason I know so much about him is because they covered all the episodes of that serial on uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh. So I've seen them all with so riffing you, you, by <laughs> Joel and the bots. So um, you'd be well versed then if it was on that <laughs> show. Yeah. And it's like he was influenced by all that stuff. And then on top of it, it's like. Rondo Hatton, he died kind of right as he was becoming known in like headlining movies. He was the star of two films right at the end of his life called House of Horrors and The Brute Man as a character mm-hmm. called The Creeper. And it's just awesome to me that Dave Stevens like plucked him out of obscurity and was like, I'm going to base a character off of this guy. And mm. I don't know. All that stuff is cool. And I just, what a what a unique look for that character of Lothar. Oh, totally. But it's like iconic. You're like, you always remember what he looks like. You yeah. That name, like, he looks like he's named Lothar. <laughs> yeah. But, man, and yeah, like I mentioned before, Jennifer Connelly uh, could not have picked someone better to play, like, the Betty Page kind of archetype. Yeah. Uh, she looks perfect for the role. She's good in the role, too. They, uh explicitly so basically when it was going to be a touchstone film like i mentioned uh i don't know what they were planning the rating to be but it was going to be a little more violent and a little more risque 
And so when they changed it to a Disney release and decided they were going to focus it more on kids, uh, in the comic, the character of Betty is like a nude model. And they changed her to like a struggling actress in the movie. And they also made her a little less of a damsel in distress and gave her a little bit more like personality and fight of her own, Mm -hmm. which is cool. Yeah, I I honestly think that uh, the movie is probably better for the fact that they decided to go a little more wholesome and aw shucks with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes it a little more timeless. Yeah, I think it could have been a little tonally confused if they did try and make it. And, you know, the comic is obviously, like, she's the risque model in the comic. And it was all about right. the cheesecake art. But uh, yeah. I think it was but, a smart move for the movie. Yeah. They made, like, the changes they make, like I was saying, with, like, with the Rocket Pack and mm-hmm. Betty to Jenny. Like, all that, like, makes sense. It was, like, a good call. Yeah. There's so much to love in this movie. It's packed to the gills with... um like uh, character actors, like we already mentioned Alan Arkin, who was great Mm -hmm. in his role. Timothy Dalton, uh, Terry O'Quinn from Lost plays Mm. Howard Hughes. Yep. Uh, Might've been the first thing I ever saw him in. Mm -hmm. Paul Sorvino. Paul Sorvino. Great mobster. Your prototypical mobster kind of character. There's a great scene, like towards the end, the the climactic battle where it's like... uh, the FBI versus, versus the Nazis versus the mobsters, you know? <laughs> but then, like, when the mobsters, they're technically the bad guys, but when they find uh-huh. out they've been working for the Nazis, they yep. turn on them. And oh, yeah. I great. love that little shot where uh, the main FBI agent played by yes, Ed Lauder. That's what I was getting at. Yep. Paul Sorvino were, like, both shooting at the Nazis. They stop yeah. and they look at each other like, wait, shouldn't we be enemies? And they just go right. back to shooting. Yeah. They both have Tommy guns. They just, like, smirk at each other and keep yeah. shooting. Like, Amazing little moment. This is the best. Uh, John Polito is in this movie. He's the uh, like the promoter who runs the airfield. Oh yeah. Oh, he's a that sure guy. Guy's got that voice like this. Yep. Who's just in a crow. thousand things. Yeah. And right down to uh, that the woman who plays Millie, who runs the diner shaped like a dog. <laughs> yes. Oh. Her yeah, name yeah. is Margot Martindale, and she's been in seven thousand things. She's super recognizable. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, just an incredible cast in the movie. Like, the person I know the least about is, honestly, Bill Campbell, who plays the Rocketeer. I looked it up after, and he's just done, like, random TV stuff for the most part since. Yeah, I guess. Still working. I guess he made waves briefly on the TV show Dynasty back in the day. Uh But then the only other, like, significant movies I saw him attached to were he's in Bram Stoker's Dracula and Gettysburg. But, I mean, there's 7,000 people in the movie Gettysburg. Yeah. So. <laughs> One uh, very, very random actress I recognized from the movie mm-hmm. to the point where I was like, who is that? Because she looks very familiar. And it's like the lounge singer from the restaurant. Mm-hmm. With the giant clam. The giant clam. <laughs> this is I, I, Did you watch The Office, Milzy? The American mm-hmm. version? I mean, I watched, like, a couple episodes here and there. Well, I mean, anyone that saw it, it's like Jan, who's like a girlfriend of Steve Carell in the office. That's her. Mm. And she's like, you know, it's like however, 10 years before or whatever. It was just such a random thing for me to know. It's like, that's someone. <laughs> and then I looked it up and I was like, oh, it's just Jan from the office. All right. So do you have any idea then if she actually like sang that song? I don't. 
Because if it's random woman from the office, it makes me think she's just an actress. But I like would have assumed that they they just got a singer because all she does Could is be. sing. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. I feel like there's a theme that we could do uh, where it's like movies that involve like gangsters and stuff that have scenes in clubs like this where there's like the big dance floor and like the big band because that was in this with the giant clam and in the shadow there were a couple of scenes with Alec Mm -hmm. Baldwin meeting with I think it was like his father or something. Uh, I think it's his uncle. His uncle. Uh, in a place like that where they had like a singer and then stuff yeah. like the Coco Cabana Club and the mask comes to mind. I mean, there's that. There's um, the opening to Temples of Doom. Oh, right. There's there's uh, honestly eight. probably a billion of them. Yeah. <laughs> but... uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Mm-hmm. It's kind of got that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch. Well, let me write that down, too. <laughs> So, yeah, reading about this, uh, I guess one of the big sticking points for Disney was they wanted, like, a name actor to lead this movie. And, uh, like, they didn't get their way because Bill Campbell wasn't that well known. But um, people who they asked or were considered for the role were Kevin Costner, Matthew Modine, Dennis Quaid, Kurt Russell, and Emilio Estevez. Costner, huh. Quaid, and Russell like make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, for sure. Bill Paxton was interviewed once and said that he was, quote, really close to being cast. And they actually offered the role to Vincent D'Onofrio, who turned it down. Oh. That's kind of interesting. That's weird. And uh, Disney's top choice for the role, I'm not sure what happened here, was Johnny Depp. Huh. But after all of these people fell through, uh, again, Joe Johnston made like a real push for bill campbell and got his way i mean it's you know it's not like a big movie to a lot of people but bill campbell is the rocketeer yeah no i'm 100 percent with you like i said i don't know him from adam basically but he's so good in it like i like again if the movie was more successful i like to imagine he would have been like a bigger name that more people would know but Mm -hmm. like i i think just based on his performance in this it's like all i need to know that he was like perfect for the role and Right. Could have been a bigger deal than he was. I mean, give him a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame just for being the Rocketeer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would advocate for that. Mm-hmm. Dave Stevens has a cameo in the movie as the German test pilot who blows up in the old Nazi footage oh. when he's testing like the German version of the rocket. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's a cool looking <laughs> rocket too. Yeah. Oh, and one of my like favorite little things from this movie is like the Nazi rocket men propaganda cartoon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the best. Yeah, that's good stuff. It's like such like an old like Fleischer like Superman cartoon. It's it's so perfect. Yeah, great style to it. Oh yeah. Speaking of animation, did you know that there is a current animated series based on the Rocketeer? No, sir. It is. It's on the uh, Disney Junior Channel. Debuted last year, and it's targeted at two to five year old girls. Okay. And it's about a young girl. Uh, I think she's like Cliff Secord's granddaughter or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, she is the Rocketeer. And Bill Campbell actually does the voice of Cliff Secord in the show. Oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I'd watch it. It's cool Just that he's it doing out. it. But at the same time, it's like, mm, he probably wouldn't be if he 
had more work. Sure. But <laughs> whatever. And get them um, all the work, I say. So when they made the film, obviously Disney was expecting it to be a big hit, which it unfortunately wasn't. Uh, like I said earlier, budget of thirty-five to forty million only made forty-six point seven in the box office. Huh. Uh, Campbell and Connolly were under contract for two sequels, oh. but the box office killed those chances. And then uh, there is apparently, I, I sort of remember reading about this in the last couple of years. There is a sequel in the works now, like not a reboot, but a straight up sequel called The Rocketeers, oh. which as recently as February 2020, there's been a new script turned into Disney. And from what I was reading, the intention is that it would be like a new movie going straight to Disney Plus. So I mean, sign me up. Yeah, I mean, I'd be very interested to see what a modern day version of the Rocketeer would be. Like, right. I don't know if it would take place in the modern day. There's not a whole lot of information about it. I guess I was reading that one of the early scripts was about because uh, this movie takes place before World War Two. One of the early scripts was about uh, Cliff Secord getting captured by the Nazis and then like a black female character getting the rocket pack and going to rescue him in Nazi Germany or something. Oh, I, I don't know if that's still the case. That's just like a version of the script allegedly oh. from sometime in the past, like four years. I mean, I'd be, have no problem saying like, give me some more rocketeer. Yeah. I mean, I mean, nothing's going to hurt this movie for me at this point. I mean, this is right. A classic. Like I said, it's perfect. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is like got to be the movie that got Joe Johnston, like Captain America, the first Avenger, right? I mean, yeah. A, if, if anything feels like a spiritual sequel, it's that. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, man. A lot of love here for the Rocketeer. I got nothing but good things to say about this movie. It is just yeah. such a roaring good time. Unlike most action adventure movies these days, under two hours. That's true. Which doesn't hurt. <laughs> no. I mean, we're, we're big advocates on the little run times here. Yeah. For a movie like this, especially. Yeah. You know, if you want to give me like a three hour long deep drama or something, then oh, okay. But The Rocketeer should be an hour and 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All day. Yeah. Uh, anything else to say about that one before we move on? Uh, no, I feel like I covered it. If you somehow have not seen The Rocketeer, fix that. Yeah. Listener. Uh, it's on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. So easy give it breezy. A watch. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, next up, coming three years later in 1994, we have The Shadow. Dump him. No! Oh. Oh. I hate him. Ah. 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 <laughs> the Christ was that. Who's there? <laughs> Show yourself, fella. You murdered a policeman, Duke. Who said that? Duke! Who said that? Shut up! The weed of crime bears bitter fruit. I don't like this. This stinks. Let's get the hell out of here. Shake your home, Maxie. Did you think you'd get away with it? Come on, Duke! <laughs> Did you think I wouldn't know? <laughs> So, The Shadow, 
this this was interesting to me. I decided to like look up the history behind each of these characters because, you know, obviously the Rocketeer is relatively a relatively recent creation in the eighties, but the Shadow and the Phantom are legit old school pulp heroes. Mm-hmm. So back in the day, there was a magazine called the Detective Story Magazine in the nineteen thirties, and it was like one of these little you know, paperback book things that you would get off the rack they called them magazines but they were more like book sized and they were just like full of like long form stories right and so the people who made the magazine decided to turn the magazine into a radio show called the detective story hour radio program in which they would adapt the stories for like radio plays and then they decided, almost like a horror host, like the Crypt Keeper, to create a narrator to kind of come on before and after the stories and introduce them. And so they just ran across a bunch of different names and ended up on The Shadow. So The Shadow himself wasn't actually originally like this pulp hero. He was just the host of this radio show. Mm, right. And then I guess the guy who did the voice on the radio show was like so compelling that listeners responded more to him than the actual stories themselves. Right. They wanted so, to know who's the shadow guy. Yeah. So uh, the dude um, who ran the magazine, the circulation manager, William Henry Ralston, uh, commissioned writer Walter B. Gibson to write stories about the shadow for the magazine. Uh, which he did under the pseudonym of Maxwell Grant. People always used pen names back in the day, and I'm not 100% sure why. But so starting on April 1st, 1931, over the next 20 years, there were 325 quote-unquote novel-length stories published about The Shadow. You said 325? Yeah, 325, of which 282 of them were written by Gibson. Wow. So the way I was reading it is these were, you know, they called them novel length stories. And I don't know exactly how long they were, like page count wise, but I think you'd typically in one of these books get like three or four stories. And so I, I don't know. I don't know if they were weekly, but essentially there would be a new quote unquote novel length shadow story in the first week and the third week of every month. So you'd get like two shadow stories a month. Mm-hmm. And that's how fast they were cranking these things out. Damn, that's prolific. Yeah, especially since almost three hundred of them were written by the same guy over the course of twenty years. I mean, I get. I mean, it's one of those as we'll get into. But it's like kind of a character you can do anything with, right? Yeah, I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of the beauty of one of these pulp characters. Is I feel like continuity isn't exactly a concern for the most part because it's right. all about. You know, just what's the next adventure? Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, where we're at right now, there's a fifth Indiana Jones movie planned to be coming Mm -hmm. out. And once again, it's supposed to star Harrison Ford. And at this point, like, that dude's pretty old. And, like, not to try and take a job out from under him, but if I'm going to watch a movie about, like, a pulp hero who swings around in a whip and fights Nazis... I'd prefer him to be, like, younger and able to do more cool shit. Right. Because, I mean, he was already pretty old in Curse of the Crystal, or was it Curse of the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Mm -hmm. But now it's, like, a decade later. And, like, I think your opinion, my opinion, most people's opinion 
is just recast him. And it doesn't have to be like the next story in the saga, like continuity wise. That's the beauty of these things is like, just tell a story from before Raiders of the Lost Ark, tell a story from after last crusade, tell a story from somewhere in the middle. Like, Mm -hmm. and, but that's the beauty of these things is you kind of always know that the hero is going to come out on top. And it's just like, come back next time to see the next adventure of Indiana Jones or whoever. I've said it multiple times. I mean, you have, I mean, we've talked about it, but like, Indiana Jones should be like the United States version of James Bond. Yeah. Change up actors, you know, little continuity. Yeah, very little continuity. Standalone stories. I mean, you can make them forever. Even better that they're period pieces. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of it is like if if one of the installments comes out and it doesn't do that well and people don't like it that much, then like yeah. the next one yeah. doesn't have to really be affiliated with it at yeah. all. Like new villains, new side whatever. characters, yeah. whatever, like new story entirely. Easy decision. I mean, I'm going to see whatever Indiana Jones movie comes out. Yeah. Same I've here. Got such love for those movies. And, you know, I won't knock anything until I see it, but like the time will come where it's like recast Put them out right. I mean, the one of the biggest disservices in my eyes done in Hollywood is that they didn't put out eight Indiana Jones movies in the eighties and nineties. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Yeah. Like there should have been one every other year for as long as they could do them. But uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. But uh, yeah, those uh, those pulp uh, writers back in the day knew how to do it. So yeah, and so. Uh, at some point in the 80s, I think in like the early 80s, there began to be talks about uh, a shadow movie. For a while, Robert Zemeckis was attached, which I think that could have been pretty cool. And then Sam Raimi, of course, because you can tell how much of a fan he is of this stuff if you watch his Spider-Man movie, or more specifically, Darkman. Sam Raimi became involved and really wanted to do the shadow. And I guess it was early enough in his career that the powers that be like didn't trust him and didn't want to let him do it. And then he made a deal from what I could understand whereby he would make dark man. And then if that movie was successful, he would get to make his shadow movie. And I guess it just never came to pass. (laughs) Huh? But I wonder how it was dark man successful question i don't think it was really i mean it did end up getting two sequels but were they even theatrical i don't think so yeah that movie's great i mean dark man's great no i agree but yeah i don't think that must have been the problem yeah so then shadow finally gets made in 1994 uh they could have had sam raimi but instead they ended up with russell mulcahy who is the director of the first two highlander films Okay. A kind of exploitation horror movie from Australia called Razorback about a boar, like a killer boar. Uh, It's basically Jaws, but with a pig. (laughs) Okay. Pig Jaws. I like it. Resident Evil Extinction. I have no idea which movie in the lineup that is. Yeah, no one does. Probably the fourth one or fifth one, maybe. (laughs) I mean, it could be any of them. Could have been the first one for all we know. (laughs) True. These horrible, horrible subtitles. Also directed The Scorpion King 2 Rise of a Warrior. Man, he's out there grinding, Mills. He really is these days. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> one of the most recent things he directed, which I think was in 2009, I only wrote down because I have seen the movie, so I have some context for it. Otherwise, I'm I'm going to guess you've never even heard of this. It's called Give Em Hell Malone. 
I have never heard of that. Yeah, it's actually got like a reasonable cast. It stars Tom Jane, uh, Ving Rames is in it. There's a couple other recognizable people in there, but it's basically like a neo noir. And uh, it was very low budget and it was fucking awful, as I remember it. It's one of those movies where, you know, being a, a person who in like high school became a big fan of like Guy Ritchie movies was like mm-hmm. really excited when I saw, oh, there's like a a noir gangster movie called Give Em Hell Malone. And then it turned out to be terrible. Okay. It was like one of those yeah. movies that I think only got made because Sin City did so well. Hold on, I just gotta write this out. Give them hell, Malone. <laughs> okay, and I'm just giving you material here. Oh man, uh, it's the beauty. But more importantly than Russell Mulcahy as director, this film was written by David Kep, which any self-respecting movie fan should know that name. I der- certainly know the name. I want to say he was like. Um... He did like some of the early, well, not early, but it's like some of the early 2000s comic stuff. Uh, he did write Spider-Man, the first one. Okay. All right. Something. I mean, he's probably, he's done a, a bunch of stuff. Oh, right? he's done a ton of stuff. Uh, let me just give you some of the highlights here. Uh, he was the writer or one of the writers on Jurassic Park. Okay. The Lost Huge. World Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Carlito's Way. Mission Impossible. Snake Eyes. Panic Room, Secret Window, War of the Worlds, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Angels and Demons, Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, and the recent Tom Cruise Mummy movie. Oh, damn. So they're buddies. He's got quite a few Tom Cruise things there. Yeah, I mean, he's got a couple of uh, De Palma movies in there because he did Carlito's Way and Mission Impossible. He's got a couple of Spielbergs with the Jurassic Parks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, Snake Eyes is De Palma, too. He did uh, War of the Worlds, which was a Spielberg. That was also a Tom Cruise movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Indiana Jones, obviously. But then this one I thought was funny. <laughs> is he not only wrote, but also directed the movie Premium Rush. The, like, bike messenger action movie with uh, <laughs> oh. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Wow. It's I've one of, like, that. three movies he's ever directed. <laughs> oh, man. That movie's something else. It really is. Wow. But uh, so those are the men who finally in 1994 gave us the shadow. Milzy, who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? I'll tell you who does. The shadow. Go ahead. The shadow knows. Milzy, thoughts. I'm dying to know what you think of the shadow. I think this was like the third time I've seen this movie. I want to say I saw it back like around the time it came out. I used to have this on VHS and... I think this is about the third time I've seen it. Every time I watch it, I have completely forgotten everything about my previous experience <laughs> mm-hmm. watching it. Yeah. And um, I expect that'll be the same case again. Uh, I feel like, as I mentioned in our little preamble at the beginning of the show, this movie is taking a lot of cues from Tim Burton's Batman. And mm. I am not a big fan of Tim Burton's Batman. Mm. So just like the visual style of it, I don't find super appealing which is crazy because I love Tim Burton and like his old school style, but I feel like that came through more in Batman Returns than his original film. But anyway, that's beside the point. But, um, you know, this movie, unlike The Rocketeer, does suffer from some ugly early CG stuff. Yes. I'm sure every time I watch the movie, I have the same thought that is, why the fuck is there a living dagger in this movie yeah. that's made of CG and voiced I by can... Frank Welker? Yeah. Oh, I can remember, like, 
this is like pre-internet even like doing research. I don't remember why, but I can remember like being into this movie at the time and like reading about it or reading about like the shadow. Cause even like, I remember that in the sh- in the movie, he, his secret identity is Lamont Cranston. Mm-hmm. And such I a 1930s the, name. Oh, totally. <laughs> and I, I actually remembered that the act and the, in the canon for the shadow, that's just like an alias he used. Like he assumed someone's identity. He's like a whole nother guy, mm. which I remembered, you know, so it's like, there's like random, like odds and ends, bits and pieces from like the, the history of the shadow that I remember. And I can remember like being into it when I was younger, you know, it definitely, it definitely has cues from Batman. I mean, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. I think the movie is a little slow. It's a little dull it's a little dark and dreary looking it i don't feel like i fully understand the backstory and everything behind the shadow it's it's very similar to like the batman begins version of batman where Mm -hmm. bruce wayne goes to like a faraway land like the dark continent or something and trains with somebody and then comes back and he's like a good fighter but in this the guy trains with somebody in a faraway land and then he magically looks different at night. Like his nose gets big and he can turn invisible. Uh, he can kind of melt into shadows. Yeah. He can like turn into like a living shadow. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know a ton about the actual shadow lore. Yeah. But I don't know how supernatural the character is supposed to be, but the movie, there's definitely a supernatural element. Well, th- it's weird because, like, I had forgot, and then in watching it now, I was like, I was like, 90, it feels like 90% of the the gist of this movie is just, like, telepathy. Yeah. So to me, it's like the ability to cloud men's minds. Yeah. So to me, it's like the whole like changing of the face is like that's he's just like clouding someone's mind to like think like that they couldn't tell it was him underneath the the red sash. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. That's what I took from it, especially like this time was that like it's not so much a physical change. It's all like everything in this is mental besides like the living knife, which <laughs> is not explained in any way. Yeah. Like they don't give you any of his train. They just, he's running an opium den a couple of years later, seven years later or whatever it was, he's back in New York. Yeah. So I don't know if you, you know, you never really get a great sense of like, did he learn Kung Fu or what did he learn? Like, well, he doesn't just, do much in the way of fighting. I mean, yeah, he doesn't really do much in the way of fighting. He just punches you know, people because with, they don't see him coming. Cause he's like invisible yeah. to them. He's good with a gun. I mean, who yeah. knows where that's coming from or, but the basis of it, like everything is just telepathy is what I got from it. That's a, that's a good point. Something I didn't think of. And I think the reason it didn't occur to me is because like, yes, those parts where he uses the force on people basically like, they mm-hmm. do that effect where like the 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 image is dark, but his eyes are like kind of glowing, and he says like, "You will forget I was ever here" or whatever. Uh, and people are kind of like, "Oh yeah, who the hell are you? I don't remember you." <laughs> like that part is obviously the telepathy. The other parts, it's like it's never explained. He never insinuates that that's why he looks different to people at certain times. Mm-hmm. There's really only that one time where you see towards the end where his face changes from 
funky big nose to normal momentarily. Yeah, there's two... You get another shot of him with the big nose without the mask. It's earlier on. I don't remember exactly where. Mm. But the the one at the end that you're mentioning is like the long, drawn-out shot. Yeah, where they're actually showing the, like, quote-unquote transformation. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's never, like, insinuated. So it's just like he'll show up and he'll look different. And I, I never really thought about why. And then, yeah. you know, they're visualizing, like, when somebody throws a knife at him or whatever or, like, shoots him with an arrow – and it like mm-hmm. it's his shadow on the wall, but the arrow goes into the shoulder of the sh- the, the shadow on the wall. It's right. like he physically comes out of the shadow. It's not like the illusion has yeah. just dropped. It's like they're showing he's physically coming out of the shadow. So it it reads to me as the viewer as this is actually happening. Not he's just making people see him coming right. out of the shadow. Oh, yeah. They don't explain it at all. That's just me guessing that's what it's supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, there's but. a lot of weirdness like that. That's why I said I'm I'm kind of confused with all that no. stuff. I mean, like you said, the movie's dark. I mean, it's dark and gloomy. I found yeah. it at, at one point, like, half hour or whatever, and I was like, this movie's like, just, like, awfully, like, melodramatic. Far more than, like, I thought. Mm-hmm. Some of it's, like, kind of his just whole disposition. I, I can get like, down with the melodrama, too, if the movie was just more, like, entertaining and fun. I mean, yeah, it's like a, every situation is different when it comes to that. But that was just that was a negative for me. I was just like, you know, it's like it should be a little more like light and airy, mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, on the one hand, just because of like the time it comes from, you know. Yeah. I mean, that being said, there's there's stuff I like. Actually, a thing I completely forgot, which I would have probably never even thought of when I was younger, but it had a pretty cool like opening like title animation. I don't know if you remember that one. It just shows the shadow on the screen. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That was pretty cool. I liked seeing that. I mean, like anything we talk about on the show, like I love seeing like the practical effect stuff, it's, uh, regardless of how good or bad it looks. <laughs> but yeah. there's some cool like cityscape miniature stuff with New York. Like the opening scene for the shadow where he's on that bridge. Mm-hmm. It's something like funny I noticed to be like, oh, like you know how much of this set is you know uh like a built-up bridge or real but you can see like it's it's like the smallest section of bridge and then just beyond it where it looks like the bridge keeps going you can like tell that was just like a painted backdrop (laughs) yeah you know people will scoff at but i was just like kind of smile like okay all right this is seen like where the big bad uh gets that like sailor to jump off the empire state building Mm mm-hmm well, they had to build that set because they show the guy jumping off it. But when he's up there, maybe it's because I watched it in HD now, but you could see like the wrinkles on the fabric, like a uh, background <laughs> that shows the cityscape, mm-hmm. like stuff like that. I was just kind of like laughing. At it. I was like, oh, this is like very 94. You know, it's got like some lousy CG, like little weird animation things. I mean, I don't think the knife looks horrible. It looks bad enough to stick out. It sticks out just for what it is and how it looks. I just don't understand I mean, why that's in the movie. Like, I wonder if that is something from one of the Shadow stories or the lore. Otherwise, oh, it's got to be. It's got to be. It makes yeah. no sense that there's like a living knife with fangs that like yeah. bites you. Because they even like they went f- like because I feel like the whole thing him changing his face and like that because the nose like old Shadow artwork like his big schnoz is very prominent. <laughs> yeah. So it almost makes me feel like that was part of why they did like so I was like they're really going for it like really like paying homage to like what the Shadow is. So it's like a fan of the Shadow they probably like, are into a lot or pick up on a lot more of this stuff. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that that kind of thing, it's it's kind of like how make fun of it as much as you want, but in the movies, you know, when Bruce Wayne's in costume, he talks like this. Like, it's just a yeah. thing to kind of keep people from realizing who he is and, you know, the big mm-hmm. nose. Like, I don't know if it was ever actually mentioned in the old stories of The Shadow that he physically changes his right. appearance yeah, or if it's just like that's always how he was portrayed in drawings, right. like the big nose. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, But then in the movie, in they, bit? like, do it with kind of a reason. Right. So that's what I mean, like, exactly, like... I'm curious, yeah, if it is that or. But again, it's just them really going for like kneeling that that look, like that silhouette mm-hmm. of his face. You know that profile shot with that giant nose. But <laughs> yeah, there's a bit that's like there's a couple things like I wrote notes to being like this is ridiculous, but makes me smile. That like he's got that whole like network of people that work for him, and then he's got yeah. like the mail the mail shoot system mm-hmm. that goes all around the city. Like, you know, that was just like fun to see, even though like. It's not even just like a shoot that's like on the outside of buildings. Some it's cutting through buildings here and there. It's, it's the most like intricate, convoluted, yeah. like like it would never system have like tunnels. People, yeah, you'd have to. Who's out here like drilling holes in all these? buildings? Oh, I definitely thought about that too. Oh yeah, like oh, yeah. who installed all this shit? But I mean, it could have been one right. of his many like friends who were the rings. Well, had to have been. But I just mean even like the parts where it's like. There'll be a corner of a stone, you know, a concrete building 50 stories up that for no reason just has a tube going through <laughs> it instead of around it. Yeah. But, you know, there's a bit with like his secret layer and he's got like the secret door that like steps down from the, the mm, sidewalk yeah. and all that. Like stuff like that. I was just like, you know, yeah, it's stuff laughing neat. at. I, I like that idea of having the like every time he saves somebody, they're indebted to him. So oh, he yeah, like totally. They have to help him when he calls and vice versa or mm-hmm. whatever, and they have the rings and everything. Oh, it's and a great – the rings is like a great like visual gag for that, for yeah. sure. And it's funny. Um, there's actually another Pulp Hero that was turned into a movie, I think in the 70s, uh, that we didn't mention. Uh, Doc Savage has a movie called Doc Savage Man of Bronze that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Very campy and corny in kind mm. of a 60s Batman kind of way. Okay, but um, there's a similar thing in that, which I assume comes from those originally original pulp stories, where he has a gang of like five middle aged men who all have like different specialties, like one's a scientist and one's this and one's that, and it's like they're his bumbling sidekicks who always are like arguing and following him around, and it has that same vibe of like how the shadow has a network of people that he's like right. culled or whatever. Mm-hmm. Something else I think is interesting about a couple of these is like in The Phantom and in The Shadow, both movies in a very like John Constantine kind of way. They have cabbie pals who drive them around everywhere. Yes. Also yeah. reminds me of uh, Escape from New York. Yeah, that's totally a thing. That's like another weird little, like we could almost do a trio of movies oh, where yeah. the main character has like a, <laughs> a cab a cab driver buddy who's indebted to them and drives them everywhere. Super subgenre. Yeah. Yeah, I could dig it. Yeah, this is another another movie that has like a great supporting cast of that guy actors cuz you got oh, uh Ian McKellen. Mm-hmm. Uh you've got Tim Curry, Peter Tim Boyle Curry. from Everybody Loves Raymond and uh Young mm-hmm. Frankenstein oh. as the cab driver. Tiny little role in the opening for James Hong. I think this is his fourth appearance oh, yeah. on Triple Threat. Low pan, baby. Yeah. <laughs> 
Love him. He's probably getting up there. Like, I think, you know, because we had a whole episode devoted to Al Pacino, and then Pacino was in one other movie we've watched. I think him and James Hong might be tied for most appearances on Triple Threat. I mean, it's not a thing we'd pay for, but it'd be great to, like, get an intern that'd be, like, <laughs> Like those people that work at ESPN that just find like all those random ass facts about sports figures. Yeah, like we need, we need a researcher. That. Yeah, big time. Somebody make us Someday. up a spreadsheet of how many times yeah. people have yeah. been on the show. But <laughs> right, like I need that. I want to be able to like snap at the intern, like, like hey, <laughs> little pan, what are we up to? You know. Yeah, but I mean James Hong's just been in everything. So, and he's also yeah. like face and voice, just somebody who pops out to me every time I see him. So, oh yeah. I'll I'll keep tabs on him at least for us. Okay, I like it. For now. Uh mm. this movie cost 40 million dollars to make and similar to The Rocketeer only made 48 million in the box office, so it was a disappointment. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like this was someone would have made this into a uh, franchise. Yeah, for sure. If it had done better. One of the reasons that certain people believe that the movie didn't do as well is because it had competition in the Lion King and the Mask at the time, which were both very yeah. successful and kind I mean, of left yeah, those this were in their huge dust. Huge movies, so yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I don't know, like Alec Baldwin. We haven't really talked about him. I think he's a good choice for like a leading man in a movie like this. But I think kind of because of the way the character's written and how undeveloped he kind of feels as a character. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Baldwin. It's like he doesn't have a lot to work with. The character isn't super memorable or likable to me. No, he's kind of like aloof too. Like when he's, like when he's talking with like Penelope, she's he's like almost kind of a goof. But then he's like the shadow. He's like an extra, like murderous bastard. <laughs> but like you don't know like what's the real character. Yeah, because he starts the movie as like a fucking warlord. Yeah. He's like runs the opium den. Yeah, like, like murders James Hong and his own yeah. buddy and. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the kind of, it's like, I don't know, again, it's very similar to Batman Begins, where oh, totally, you know, both characters were like affluent, uh, like Americans, who, I think the case with uh, The Shadow is they said that he like went away to the war and then he never came home, and I guess like the war, whatever, like World War One or something broke him, and then he just stayed behind in like some town and mm-hmm. ran the opium trade like a fucking tyrant. Right. And then someone decided, oh, no, I have to train him and send him back to America to be an Avenger of Justice. Like, it's, it's just very vague, yeah. and I don't know why any of it's happening. <laughs> yeah, it could, it would have helped to have, like, a reason why he'd do it or why he would even, like, ch- like, why would that training, whatever it was, change him so much from what the life he had come from? At least, like, Batman Begins, he's doing it. He has, like, the same game plan at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where this guy don't. The whole idea, I guess, is, you know, this master chooses him, trains him, and then sends him to America to be, like, his avenging angel or something. And then mm-hmm. the villain, who is a descendant of Genghis Khan is also trained in the same, like, mystic arts by the same person. Uh, but then he, like, even though he's been trained for seven years, just like Lamont Cranston was, the Genghis Khan guy remains evil and murders his master and then just, like, goes to use those powers for evil. But, like, the Shadow seemed pretty fucking evil, murdering people over opium yeah. before he was sent to America to be right. a good guy. Like, Yeah. 
I don't I mean, know. Like, it's... I mean, not to say like heroes can't kill because he kills plenty of people in this movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just kind of doesn't even. And then especially when he's just like Joe Average out on the street, he's like, there's just no fleshing out of the character. They they needed to flesh out a character, and they needed to flesh out like some kind of like backstory. Mm-hmm. You know, because even if you showed him as like a good guy that was broken in the war, and then you know gets wrapped up in the opium trade, like. Wants wants to go back to the world he loves, you know. Like and you something. know, if this movie was made nowadays, they probably would have had way more of that backstory, and it potentially oh, could have hurt oh. the movie even more. Because again, this movie's under two hours, and I right. can easily imagine this being like a two hour and twenty minute overstuffed fucking modern oh, day yeah. action. It, it could it, it'd be that, and it'd be like an hour before he's even shows up as the shadow yeah and there'd be like you know slow-mo speed ramping sequences of him like jumping mm-hmm. in and out of visibility shooting people and right oh yeah so i don't know i i'm not the biggest fan of this movie but i can definitely imagine like a worse version of it it's just as yeah. is i think it's very middle of the road and forgettable to me yeah i mean it's i don't think it's that bad i don't think it's that great you know, mm-hmm. it's this there's fun for me to like it came. It was probably made at the right time for me to enjoy it today. Sure. Versus like 2004, where it's just like bad CGI and someone <laughs> felt like, you know, they had to change the look. Cause I feel like the look is good. Like he looks mm-hmm. like every picture I've ever seen of the shadow still to this day. So just imagine if this movie hadn't been made in 94, maybe it would have been Seth Rogen as the shadow. In 2010. 100%. Which would have made just as much or little sense as the Green Hornet, but. Totally. (laughs) You know, there's some fun, like, iconic shots of the shadow in it. Like, there's just, like, you know. Then for every one of those, then there's, for some reason, the, uh, you know, the the main villain, Shiwan Khan, he uh, hypnotizes the entire city Mm -hmm. to hide a building, which is ludicrous. And then. Also, the top floor of this building, he turns into like a <laughs> spinning turntable of death. Yeah, kind that's of thing. weird. Like, why would you even do that? And then there's like the weird Hall of Mirrors scene in the movie uh-huh. towards the end, which doesn't amount to much. And there's a reason I, for that. Yeah, I read this too. So give it to the people. Yeah, so the Hall of Mirrors scene was intended to be longer and more complicated, but a 6.7 magnitude earthquake destroyed the set, so they just abandoned it midway through and, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, put it but in the movie But they still needed it. Is. Yeah. You know, he doesn't get into, like, any bit of fisticuffs at the end with the, the big bad or anything either. Yeah. So it's kind of like it's, you know, it's like lacking some action in that bit. You know, it's just kind of kind of ho-hum in the end. Yeah. You know? I agree. Yeah, doesn't like look horrible to me. I think you know, like I said, there's some some fun things to see, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> I'm almost not surprised. That's a good way to You're put not it. surprised how it how it turned out. It is what it is. The thing mm-hmm. you say about things that you don't have a strong opinion of. Correct. <laughs> but uh, all right, ready to move on to our third film? Yeah, yeah, boy. All right. Coming out two years later in 1996, we have The Phantom. America is in financial ruin. Europe and Asia are on the brink of self-annihilation. Chaos reigns. But like I've always said, there is opportunity in chaos. And so, my brothers, 
I give you the skull of Tuganda. This skull is one of three. When all three skulls are united, they will produce a force more powerful than any army on Earth. But you, you've only got the one. Legend has it that if the skulls are separated, two of the skulls will point the way to the third. Like I said, you only got the Raymond, one. Raymond, Ray, Ray, I know the location of the second skull, okay? The symbol of the Sang Brotherhood. We shall succeed where they have failed. The skulls will be ours, and all of the power that comes with them. Count me out. This is wrong. Skulls, forces of darkness. This isn't right. I was an altar boy for the love of Pete at St. Timothy's. And so was you, Charlie. This isn't right. We wasn't raised this way. Sit down, Ray. Hey, the only power I believe in comes out of the barrel of a gun, not from some jungle souvenirs. So the Phantom was created in 1936 by Lee Falk, who, and the Phantom is a, like a, a newspaper comic. I think Lee Falk was just a writer, and I don't think he actually ever drew the strips from what I was reading, but mm-hmm. he continued to work. So created in 1936, and at some point I read that uh, there were over 100 million people reading The Phantom daily because it was syndicated in so many places. Oh, wow. Lee Falk worked on the strips from 1936 when it was created until his death in 1999. Damn. And the daily Phantom strip is still running today. Hell yeah. And the current artist on it is a guy named Mike Manley, who is oh. the co-creator of Darkhawk for Marvel. Dude, Mike Mike Manley's my boy, Bills. You know I love me some Darkhawk. <laughs> He's been drawing uh, the Phantom for like the last three years, I think. Oh, I didn't know that. He did a lot of uh, anim- like Batman animation, too. Mm. Uh, a, a, I didn't write them all down, but there were some other like recognizable names of people who've worked on the uh, the Phantom comic strip over the years. But huh. just crazy to think, like it feels like the Phantom is something that would have like gone away in like the early '80s or something, but it's still out there. Like it's still that's crazy to me that there's still enough demand for it that it's still yeah. like this ad- like jungle adventure comic strip is still running like seventy years later. <laughs> Yeah, like back to what we were saying about just like pulp heroes in general and Indiana Jones and these other two, like like kind of like the setup is ripe for more stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, serialized, like just it's easy. So yeah. Just the adventures of this guy who like protects the jungle, mm-hmm. basically. Like, oh, he's uh he's in a long line of phantoms. Every son becomes a phantom when the father passes. Uh yeah, just a that's Where's a purple, neat, you know? simple yeah. premise in and of itself. It's like, you know, the Phantom in this movie, there is some like mysticism and like magic and stuff like that. In the comic strip, you know, I don't know if they've diverged from this at all over the, you know, 70 something years or whatever it is that it's been around. But uh, generally, or gosh, no, I guess it's almost 100 years now, because if it was 1936, 
we're mm. what tw- uh, 14 years, years away from the 100 yeah. year anniversary 86 yeah. yeah yeah but i get the impression that there was never any like real magic or mysticism in the uh, source material and that he's just um a character who like trained and is a good fighter and he's good with weapons and the whole like I guess the one thing is it's kind of like the Lobster Johnson character from Hellboy where when he like punches you with his one hand where he's wearing the skull ring, it like burns the skull into your face to show like mm-hmm. you've been bested by the phantom. But right. otherwise, like the only like mystical thing about him, but it really isn't, is people think that he's immortal because every phantom, you know, eventually trains his son to take over the role. And when one of the phantoms dies the sun just carries it on so that people think he never dies, mm-hmm. which is it's just it, in its simplicity yeah. is a cool premise to me. It works. I mean, in the movie, they complicate a little bit. I guess the dad is like a force ghost, which I'm sure wasn't in the. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think he, I strip. think it's just like he's I read it as like he's talking to him like in his mind, almost not like he's <laughs> really there. Oh, so he's crazy. OK, well. It's just like he's talking to his subconscious, like he, uh-huh. I don't know. I, di- I didn't read it as that was actually like magic uh-huh. father talk, like through death or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. But maybe I'm wrong. Like, like kind of like uh, how Dexter would talk to his father, who was played by James Remar, mm-hmm. who's in this, uh, on the Dexter <laughs> right. TV show, uh-huh. where he would just have scenes where when he was alone, he would talk to his dad. Like, I, I don't, yeah. I didn't ever perceive that as being like, I'm actually here speaking to you physically from beyond the grave. And I think this is a similar thing. Well, yeah, Dexter is crazy. So, you well, know, that one for sure. Who knows? You know, they don't, they leave it open ended for it's us. It's funny. I did not think of that connection until I actually just accidentally made it <laughs> that James Remar is in both. <laughs> but speaking of James Remar, Uh, connections are everywhere (laughs) right from the beginning of this movie it was like sticking out to me like a sore thumb that james remar's character is this kind of like indiana jones like like bad guy indiana jones where he's Mm -hmm. like grave robber yeah he's like going around stealing like artifacts and shit and his name is quill Mm -hmm. and then the villain Mm -hmm. of this movie is named drax Oh, look at that. <laughs> That's a weird coincidence, isn't it? It is. Guardians of the Galaxy connection. Like the whole movie, I'm thinking, please let there be someone named Gamora. Because like, oh, how amazing. fucking weird would it be if there were three? But no, there's just some guy named Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Millsy, Millsy. How about your boy, Tree Williams? Uh, You know... Pun fully intended, as I say this, he's a treat in this movie. Man, he's chewing up that scenery, Millsy. I was so excited. He's good for that. I got to tell you. He really is. He's not like the best dramatic actor in the world, but boy, is he fun to watch. Man, comes in heavy with another mustached villain. Yeah. And come to think of it, this is our third Treat Williams appearance as well. Because he was in Deep Rising, our very first episode. Yeah, the other one is escaping me. He was in um, that uh, Harrison Ford, Brad Pitt movie about the IRA. Oh. The uh, devil. Was he the husband? Devil something. No, he's he's like, he was like selling the missiles to Brad Pitt or something. He was like a corrupt politician Mm. or something like that. (laughs) Right, right. Devil's own? The devil's own, yeah. Ah, yes, of course, of course. So treat treats getting Man, up there. I mean, I mean, he plays a great mobster villain. Mm-hmm. 
he feels right at home in this like period piece setting with oh, yeah. like the you know striped suits and mm-hmm. cocky attitude. Yeah, this movie has like fun sets, and like his is one of them. Like his apartment or whatever it is mm-hmm. is like a big and again for like the time period because like it, it's a set because like outside the windows they just have like the painted backdrop like silhouette of buildings, but mm-hmm. like. I mean it up. I love it. It's like a, a real cool uh, giant like open room he has or whatever in his apartment. And I think that Treat Williams' character in this, uh, Xander Xander Drax. Drax, begins and ends with an X. <laughs> mm. I think he may be the most horrible villain in any movie we've ever covered because this on. man has a specially custom-made microscope specifically designed to stab people's <laughs> eyes out when he lures them into looking into it. Oh, like, man. how evil do you have to be to Very. fucking have a deadly set, like, mic- uh, microscope in your office? Very evil, Millsy. Fucked up. Just tell, tell me about it. There's some fun to be had. There's actually, which I didn't recall, but I thought there was, like, some pretty good stunts in this. Yeah. You got the the truck on the bridge bit. There's a plane chase. Yeah, the part where he jumps off the uh, the pontoon of the plane and lands on the horse is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean that whole like bit where he's trying to like get off the plane like looked cool. Like looked like they were doing like probably like rear projection bits or whatever that looked good. Just kind of that whole thing. That that truck on the bridge stuff I liked. Yeah, like this movie doesn't have a ton of CG to it. I mean, The Shadow didn't have a ton either, but. Like, you get a little bit at the end when the fucking skulls start shooting laser beams and things like yeah. that. But there is, like, a laser ring battle with some, like, mm-hmm. bad CG that is pretty cringy. But but for the most part, this movie seems pretty well practical for 1996. Oh, yeah. And it feels like, you know, I guess the Shadow and the Phantom are slightly different kinds of characters. The Phantom is more of, like, the jungle adventure, almost like a Tarzan kind of, like you know, pugilist kind of character, whereas the shadow mm-hmm. is more of like the Batman hide in the shadows and pick people right. off in the city. But this movie did have some sequences that felt like they were throwing way back to those like same kind of serials that Indiana Jones was oh yeah was referencing. Oh, doubt. Uh just the silliness of him having like this horse and the wolf that like follow <laughs> yeah. him around everywhere. Uh-huh. And... Yeah. I don't know. Stuff like that I he thought can, was he pretty can cool. call them from anywhere. Oh, yeah, like the wolf knows everything he needs them to do. And like, the wolf and the horse actually speak to one another. Remember that scene? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean. <laughs> that was amazing. Like the, I think the wolf runs up to the horse and like barks at it. And then the horse like shakes its head and does some whinnies. And then they run off together mm-hmm. like they were like, quick, <laughs> the phantom needs our help. Uh-huh. Like the only thing that was missing was subtitles at the bottom, which would have been amazing if they had done that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I always perceived, I had seen this, I think, once before, it had been a while, but I always perceived this movie as being like, again, I don't know why I pair up Rocketeer, Shadow, and Phantom in my mind, aside from, Mm -hmm. you know, they have kind of similar origins or whatever, but uh, I always kind of perceived this as like the short end of the stick, like I did not remember it very fondly, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not necessarily technically better than The Shadow, but... I think I enjoyed the lighthearted tone of this one a little more than The Shadow this time around because, again, The Shadow is kind of, like, dark and dreary and a little melodramatic. 
Whereas this one is just like kind of goofy and going for it. And I can understand why neither of them were that successful at the time in the nineties. Yeah. But I mean, there's like, this is the more of like the swashbuckling kind of mm-hmm. vibe yep. versus like the crime in the city yeah. from the shadow. Billy Zane is just a goofball in this. I don't know. <laughs> I, I was going to the phantom I have like in my notes, like the phantom is a goof. I don't, I don't necessarily dislike Billy Zane. I actually like him a lot in Demon Knight, of all things. <laughs> I don't, like, care. I think, he, like, he's, like, a... He does not play this, like, very well at all. He's kind of just bland. He's goof. doesn't really have any charisma, you know? He's kind of, like, the weak link of the movie <laughs> for me. It, like, I like a lot more of the movie than him. It feels like, whereas The Shadow... It feels like they didn't really give uh, Alec Baldwin a ton to work with. It feels like in this movie, just Billy Zane, from scene to scene, didn't know exactly what his character was supposed to be. So he just has these weird looks on his face and like weird line yeah. reading sometimes. Totally. Like he's got just like a kind of aloof aloofness to him. I mean, I kind of enjoyed him because of that. Like I got more enjoyment out of him in this role than I did out of Alec Baldwin in the shadow. Cause he was just kind of bland. And in this, it, Billy Zane is like unpredictably odd. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a thing. I don't, I don't necessarily go the same way. Cause it just, it just, it stuck out to me. Like if I was to think of like what the, this bruiser from the jungle is like at no point did I feel like I was getting that from Billy Zane. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, logically, he doesn't work. Yeah, so it's just like that. That's probably the way I go with it. But all in all, I mean, the rest of the movies, like, it's kind of fun. I like, actually, Christy Swanson a lot. She's probably, like, my favorite, like, female character out of the three. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still, like, I love Jenny from The Rocketeer, but as far as, like, she's more, it leans a little more, like, damsel with her versus, like, Christy Swanson's, like, here to kick a little ass which i like yeah you know she's like the kind of stereotypical uh you know rough and tumble i'm not gonna take shit from any man kind yeah. of character mm-hmm. which then that worked i mean it like mm-hmm. played off of like goofy the goofy phantom it's funny know? i hardly even recognized christy swanson like at first i didn't realize it was her and it had been a while since i'd seen it so i didn't recall Mm-hmm. At some point, I was like, "Oh shit, is that who I'm I'm looking at here?" And I looked it up and realized it was her. But like right from the top, like I guess I just v- picture her as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is like a very different That's what, kind of character. I was, gonna, I was gonna say it's completely different for me. Like I recognized her right away, especially because she looks pretty similar to the Chase, which is like a year or two oh, before right. this. Mm-hmm. Which and I've seen the Chase like fifteen times. Like <laughs> that was like a movie that used to be like on a lot that I could like pick up and watch from any point in the movie and just like, all right, I'm, I guess I'm watching the chase now, you know, like that's one of those movies for me. So mm-hmm. I'm a chase fan as well. Yeah. It's great. Great flick. So, but yeah, this is another one. All three of these movies have like really good casts of like character actors. Like, you, you know, mm-hmm. Chrissy Swanson's there. Treat Williams. Great in his role, just like charismatic and fun to watch. Yeah. Catherine Zeta Jones. This was only her fifth performance in a movie. Oh, it's even that many? I would have even thought it was less than that. I feel yeah, like. it's crazy. Like, and then like two movies after this, she did Entrapment, which I feel like is one of the early like big movies oh, for her. Yeah, that was like ninety nine ish or something. Yeah, probably. she just like came out of nowhere. 
Mm-hmm. Then, like I said, James Remar, he's like he's one of these guys who feels like he was supposed to be a big deal. He's kind of in that uh, Dennis Quaid camp for me, where Dennis Quaid yeah. to me has always felt like he, like somebody somewhere was sure he was going to be the next Harrison Ford, and then it just never happened. Like they tried mm-hmm. and tried, and then like his movies just never like really took off. And James Remar feels a little bit like that to me, maybe just because of the factoid that he was originally Hicks and Aliens, and then oh, after like a week of filming, they dumped him and brought in Michael Bean. Well, I didn't know that fact. Yeah, he's actually visible in one shot in the movie when they're like going into the hive for the first time. But oh, uh, shit. yeah, like <laughs> uh, completely unrelated to the Phantom. Fun anecdote about that is uh, if you look at the armor that all of the Marines are wearing in that movie, uh, mm-hmm. they brought on all the characters who were supposed to play the Marines like for a couple of weeks of like training and stuff for them to all like get to know each other and have a natural camaraderie. And during that time, they allowed them each to customize like the paint job on their own armor. And uh, so James Remar was there mm-hmm. with everybody and he put like, uh, he painted like a heart, like a big red heart right over where his heart would be on his armor. And uh-huh. then when they got rid of him, they brought in Michael Bean, who didn't get to design his own armor. And he criticized the fact that, like, if I was a soldier, why would I put a big red target right over my heart? <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> but that's what he wore in the movie. But um, Oh, all right. Yeah, all so right. that's... You're full of knowledge, Millsy. I love it. Well, I mean, I can tell you anything you want to know about aliens, but... Oh, there you go. And then That's a uh, skill I may call upon from time to time. Hey, hit me up. I'm here for you. I will. Also, Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa. Yeah. Who is uh, in Mortal Kombat. Shang Tsung, man. Yeah, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Showdown in Little Tokyo. And then, <laughs> of all people, the cabbie in this is a guy named John Capadice. Capadice? I'm not 100% sure. Uh, he's one of those that guy actors that's been in a thousand things like Speed and Independence Day, but I will always remember him from Ace Ventura as uh, the police officer that uh, he and Ace are always giving each other shit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh I, shit! Yeah. I that like that. he his face and voice are etched into my memory from watching Ace Ventura so many I mean, times. Totally when I was a that guy actor mm-hmm. tonight, full of that guy actor. Yeah, but... all of these movies are just crammed mm-hmm. full of these great character actors. Yeah, no, it's but... solid cast, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, like the the weakest link for sure of this movie is that the Phantom getup. Oh yeah, the purple. Uh, the, I mean, I get that he's got the purple spandex, and they they didn't give him like the striped pants or whatever. Mm-hmm. But just like the the just the look of that spandex, and then that it's got like the screen printed like skulls on it and stuff. <laughs> yeah. it's Which like, you I don't like notice that... unless you're really looking for it. But then when you do, you can't unsee what it. What you do, then you're like, oh man, he's covered in these things. And it's like <laughs> part of me is just like, is, I think that's what doomed this movie. <laughs> What's that bad costume? He like? does look really goofy, which. Yeah, because this movie is so like lighthearted and earnest, and his performance is so goofy, I kind of get behind how dumb he looks. Oh, but see, yeah. for the yeah, seriousness of trying to make like an action adventure film, like it doesn't surprise me that this right. this only made seventeen million dollars domestically on a forty five oh. million dollar budget. I mean, it's just like I'll, I'll commend them because even like I ended up buying this movie because it was four dollars to rent or five dollars to buy. <laughs> Nice. So I was like, I'm just gonna buy it because even like sometimes it helps like 
having the movie at the ready, like when it comes to poster time and all that. So I was like, <laughs> whatever, I'll just buy the Phantom. It's fine. I will commend them because like watching it in HD, like he's got like the like a rubber cowl that goes into the spandex. Mm-hmm. And like the color is like matched perfectly. Hmm. Like it's hard, like two completely different like uh, textiles seems like, but the color works. So I was like, okay, I mean, you know, he's got the domino mask and everything. It's just like, which is fine. Like it's almost like, God, like what else could they have done? Could it just been like a canvas suit or something? Well, see, here's the thing. I mean, having seen so many superhero movies now, there's always the question of like, like if you look at the uh, the Superman costume from the cu- the last couple of movies, like Man of Steel, mm-hmm. if you like zoom in, the costume is covered with this like little pattern. Oh yeah, that it's like just that the average texture. person would look at yeah. and be like, "What the fuck is with this pattern?" And the reason is like it having a lot of little detail like that somehow like covers up the goofiness of the fact that you're wearing a skin tight costume. Like if you look at that next to like the Christopher Reeve Superman costume, one Mm -hmm. looks like something that you bought at a costume shop. And the other one looks like something that was like professionally made in Hollywood. Right. Now, the interesting thing is I was reading that uh, they actually designed and made a like muscle suit. That was kind of like the Batman costumes where it's like got fake muscles, either molded or built into it. But Mm -hmm. uh, Billy Zane didn't want to wear it. And so for over a year, he weight trained until his body was like in good enough shape where he didn't have to wear it. And they let him just wear the spandex. Damn. And I mean, he looks pretty good in the movie. Yeah, he doesn't look like he doesn't fit. You know, Mm -hmm. no issue there. It's really just like the it's the look of that spandex with all those damn skulls. And then even part is just like. Why is like the jungle hero have this screen print? Bright, costume bright purple. You know, just, like why was a jungle yeah. hero wear purple in the first place? But yeah. But even like the purple, I could get behind if it just like wasn't just like they went, didn't go for it so hard. That's spandex. But it's funny. I like consider uh, talking about the per- the purple coloring. I was actually reading. I don't remember where, but there's like another country like Thailand or something where the phantom is like more popular there than any other place in the world. But it, there he's called like the Crimson Avenger or something like that. And since the comic strips are in black and white, it's like, you know, they can call him that and it doesn't matter what he looks like. But mm. anytime there have been like books printed about the character in this country, they color him like all red. And so it was apparently a great shock to uh, fans in this country when the movie came out and he was fucking bright purple and they just didn't understand. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you mentioned the domino mask, and this is another case like Batman where, you know, these characters wear these masks, and anytime there's a close-up of their face, you can tell, oh, they just painted their eyes, like, black mm-hmm. around, mm-hmm. like, where the, where the mask doesn't cover. And then there's that one shot in the movie where he, like, takes his mask and cowl off, and mm-hmm. uh, At it's, the end, yeah. it's a little cut, and it's just like, oh, where'd the paint go around his eyes? Like, Right, right. Oh, yeah. Just a weird notorious decision. notorious from, like... Batman Returns. Yeah. The end. Oh, yeah. But then, uh, speaking of the cowl, I thought this was pretty interesting. In order to get that thing to fit snugly and not look stupid, Billy Zane had to shave his head. So they filmed all of the scenes where he's not wearing the cowl and has hair, like in the first half of filming. And then they filmed all the scenes of him in full costume after he had shaved his head. 
Holy shit. Like, apparently he does not wear a wig throughout the movie, but he had to have his head shaved whenever he was wearing it. So, like, that scene at the end of the movie where he finally, like, you watch him take off the cowl, it is, like, it's split into two cuts. But, like, they literally filmed the part of him, like, taking the cowl off and having hair, like, months in advance of the part just before it where he's, like, reaching up and about to pull the cowl off. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I just thought that was interesting. Like these days you would think that they would just like, you know, give them a wig or something like that. But yeah, yeah. No, they went old yeah. school on this one. They sure did. Well, good for them. Yeah. And that, that scene's right after they end up in that crazy like uh underground lair with the kung fu pirates and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and the, which is like, like laser total skulls. like big like it felt like uh I don't know, it felt like which was a cool set, like maybe you know, like made me smile, but it felt like a like a Disney amusement ride or like Pirates of the Caribbean or something. I, yeah, I was thinking the same thing, like a live stunt show at Universal Studios or something. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, there was like some fun to be had in there. With they, there was like, a, I don't know, there were sharks down there and stuff. Yeah. Know, like. Yes, there were. They got, yeah, uh, I mean, they got Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa, the sharks did. Yeah, I mean, Shang Song, baby. And then, you know, Trey Williams gets blown up by the skull rings <laughs> laser skulls i mean it's wild this movie's kind of wild it is kind of wild so apparently the biggest contender to play the the role of the phantom who lost out to billy zane was bruce campbell which would have been pretty cool oh, elvis uh, himself yeah and um there was an earlier attempt to make this movie in the late 80s and dolph lundgren was apparently attached at some point to play the character which would have been, yeah, but that odd. would have been something. I mean, I would, yeah, that pocket universe. I'd love to see uh, oh, Bruce yeah. Campbell the exact same movie, but it's him instead of Billy Zane. <laughs> yeah, he would have been weird on purpose instead of by accident. I think. Yeah, Billy Zane. <laughs> <laughs> weird on purpose. There's some more merch for us. <laughs> and uh, similar to the Rocketeer, Billy Zane was signed on for two sequels to this movie that never came to pass because of the box office failure. Uh, what surprises me is as poorly as this movie did and as forgotten as it seems to be in as late as 2008, Paramount Pictures was considering doing a sequel and bringing back Billy Zane, Christy Swanson and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Damn. And then they changed their mind and decided to reboot the film. I, this was around 2014. They were talking about doing a reboot with Sam Worthington. <laughs> It did have like a crazy like TV miniseries. Did you see that? In like oh nine, I think. Was it related to the movie or just like another Phantom thing? It was another Phantom. Like they made like the gritty modern oh. version with like the Batman suit and technology and shit. No, I I, I didn't see that. Yeah, I have to take a look at that after. Looks pretty rough, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that would have been amazing to see a sequel with the original cast. One other interesting thing about this movie. Is that apparently big fan of the Phantom comics, uh, Sergio Leone tried for a while to make an adaptation of this at some point. What? Uh, and he was planning on doing this movie and then a follow-up film about Mandrake the Magician. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of those like ever one happened. Does, Mills. Uh, like so one does. Eventually, Joe Dante became involved with this version of the movie. And okay. he and the writer, Jeffrey Bohm, came together, co-wrote a script, and they were apparently weeks away from beginning production with Joe Dante directing 
when like some kind of budgetary constraints happened or something and they like scrapped the project. And then about a year later, they hooked up with director Simon Windsor, who decided to film the movie uh, in like cheaper locations and was able to shave like $17 million off the budget or something. And so they went with him as director. But then since Joe Dante had been so involved with like the pre-production of the movie, he's still on there as a producer, like one of a bunch of producers listed on the movie, which I thought was kind of funny, even though he had very little to do with the end product. Yeah. Yeah, So Simon Winsor, the director, couldn't have told you who he was, but he's directed some like recognizable things, uh, including Quigley Down Under, Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. Free Willy, Lightning Jack, Operation Dumbo Drop, and Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles, <laughs> which is the third Crocodile Dundee film. Okay, okay. And the writer, Jeffrey Bohm, wrote The Dead Zone, Inner Space, The Lost Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and the second and third Lethal Weapon films. And he was the co-creator of the Bruce Campbell show, The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Damn. <laughs> That's cool. Some good stuff there. Yeah. All right. So there you go. I could dig it. That's uh, that's about all I have for the Phantom. Mosey, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Current age, 2021 20, and beyond. Yes. If you were going to, if it was up to you mm-hmm. to like take one of these characters and like adapt them for further movies in a la the James Bond style and you had to pick one, who's it going to be? I mean, I'm I'm the biggest fan of the Rocketeer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the Shadow would be a pretty safe bet, like you're saying, where you can do just like the random adventures of this person. I think mm-hmm. the whole idea of like the jungle hero is a thing that doesn't really appeal to people anymore, like Tarzan and the Phantom. It's just right. kind of an old school, again, from the time period of like, you know, where we didn't have the internet and the world wasn't as connected and, you know, people in the United States would go to the theater and see the newsreels of like people like now we're mixing with the pygmy tribes and wherever. And these wild gorillas in the dark continent and all this stuff like that used to Uh like capture people's imaginations where now you can get on a plane and go anywhere and like take fucking, right. You know, social media influencer Instagram photos with any fucking rare mm-hmm. animal you want in some other country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't really think the Phantom is as viable, but I think, you know, the uh, guns ablazing light telepathy angle shadow in the inner city kind of stuff could work. Mm-hmm. But personally, uh, I'd like to see the Rocketeer sticking in a period setting myself. Yeah, I think I'd. I'd agree on all counts. I think regardless, it would it should be a period piece, whichever the one of them it is. Mm-hmm. I don't. I keep making this like correlation, not that they're even remotely related, but like part of the Phantom kind of makes me think of like Pirates of the Caribbean, just because of like the mm-hmm. island setting, which I think people might be a little tired of. Yeah, and I think like something like the Shadow is like an easy sell. Mm-hmm. Rocketeer is a little harder, but is like the better property. I mean, if you were trying to update and modernize, I honestly, now that I think about it, think the Phantom kind of works the best because the whole idea is it's like the Phantom dies and then the younger one comes along and you could almost Mm. do like the more modern man, you know, 
Phantom these like in a modern setting where it's like he's got all the skills of the old jungle warrior, but like he comes to the city and is more of like a modern young dude instead yeah. of like stuffy old adventurer or something. I mean, even <laughs> saying that out loud, I feel like that's like a pitch that somebody would do at a movie studio, but I kind of hate the sound pre- of it myself. When you look it up, that's pretty much what this like mini series was oh, 10 yeah. years ago. So yeah, I'd still say like period piece would be, f- would still feel the way to go. Yeah. Say if it was up to me, big budget, big action, like the Rocketeer could just be so much fun. Mm-hmm. Shadow's an easier sell. And Phantom's like a hard sell. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's bad. I think we're in agreement on that one, Chief. <laughs> yeah. Seems like the uh, logical way to go. Mm-hmm. Well, you want to talk some posters? Uh, let's do it. I'm ready. So I was reading specifically about the Rocketeer. The poster we're going to be discussing, it looks like a teaser poster because there's not a whole lot of information on it. It doesn't have like the cast list at the bottom or anything. Right. So apparently the movie comes out. 1991 uh doesn't do super hot here and then it rolled out in other countries after the u.s and so for like britain and some other places they quick decided oh shoot this movie's not doing super well we need to put out like a poster with the actual actors faces on them so there's another poster that you can find if you google it where it's like you know, kind of a montage with a big shot of Cliff Secord in the background with Timothy Dalton and Jennifer Connelly in front of him and the Rocketeers flying in the background and there's like a like a blue backdrop. But it was like too little too late and like so they rolled that out and that was also an official poster, but it uh Which ain't a bad poster either. Yeah, it's I mean, plenty it's of people fine for what it is. It's like your standard Photoshop one, but it's not like garish like a lot of them are. Yeah. Uh, it actually reminds me a little bit of the first Iron Man movie poster. Do you oh, remember yeah. that? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Like they had the poster that was just successor. Iron Man, but then they had the one that was like a montage of the characters. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's one of the last like legit kind of cool looking montage movie posters we've seen. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so yeah, this this Rocketeer one that we're looking at is in the Art Deco style. They don't get more much more iconic than this poster. Yeah, I mean, just in comparison contrasting a lot of the other movie posters we've talked about on the show this one you know it's unique mm-hmm. uh it would grab my eye next to all the other yeah. boring posters in a in like a movie theater lobby mm-hmm. i mean it's got the rocketeer's got a great logo mm-hmm. it fits i mean this is in a movie room if i ever had a movie theater room this is one of the things getting hung up for sure <laughs> yeah i mean it's a classic for all the right reasons mm-hmm. like my one wish, though, considering how great of an artist he w- he was, how is there not a Dave Stevens poster like, for this movie? Any, like, big splash page piece you've seen him do of the Rocketeer would make an amazing poster. Yeah, like, there's totally. that shot in the movie that is directly uh, mm. based on one mm. of his, like, famous pieces of Rocketeer art where he's standing on the roof next to the American flag. Mm-hmm. Just a shot like that, or, like, him and Jenny, like... Totally. But illustrated by Stevens would have been great too. But yeah, but I mean, all things considered, getting this instead mm-hmm. certainly works because it's just gorgeous. Yeah, it is a nice piece of art in addition to being a good advertising mm-hmm. piece of artwork. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the shadow, I do like the fact that this is also so stylized um, mm-hmm. and simple. 
kind of like the Rocketeer one. I love this one. poster. It does have, unlike the Rocketeer, which feels very classic, like it feels like that artwork could have existed in the 1930s for the Rocketeer. This one feels like a like a steely, shiny 90s yeah. update. But that's not necessarily this, a bad thing. No. As a poster, it's not a great, it's technically like not a great poster for the movie. Because mm-hmm. there's none of this look or colors or anything is in the movie, but I love this poster. I mean, this is super iconic. Mm-hmm. It's a little like overly kind of photoshopped feeling because it's got like some like shiny edges and like a that purple gradient. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what like it's a classic feeling kind of image, but then it's just got that like mid '90s like Batman mm-hmm. Forever kind of sheen on it. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. But I still love. It. I mean the yeah. Colors all work. The art's great. I mean, it's a cool image. I like it that works. it's just so blue and green. I love that fucking neon green they use. Oh yeah, big time. I mean, even just the a one tagline that should be there and works. Yeah, I mean, it's the yeah. classic tagline. Yeah. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The logo is cool looking. It's like also that like mm-hmm. super shiny version of like the old school shadow logo. Yeah. Yeah, no, I dig it. This is another one. I'd hang this up, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's very nice. Mm-hmm. I dig it. Uh, The Phantom. <laughs> I mean, why this says Slam Evil? I don't know. This could have been why no one saw this movie. <laughs> I mean, it's a memorable image. I see it, and I'm like, oh, yes, I've seen that a bunch of times before on, like, the backs of comic books and yeah. stuff. Oh, but- yeah. But if you just had like the Phantom title big, instead of Slam Evil, mm-hmm. it's so much better. If they did something similar to the Shadow, but it was like just a big close up of the skull ring or something. I mean, you could do like half his face, half the skull ring. You know, I mean, I don't know. I could think of anything. Yeah. What is this pouty face that Billy Zane's doing in the background? Yeah, it's like instead of looking face. like cool or angry it's like they told him okay just loosen all of the muscles in your face and let your jaw hang i think that's what they told him for the whole movie that but (laughs) they're like hey show no emotion poster movie none of it okay Uh, it's just yeah i don't know it's uh it's kind of unfortunate it's just a big fist in your face with half of uh half of billy zane's face the title is so small off to the side there so small like it doesn't even like not a great font or color choice for it font the the color choice is horrible like it's got a weird like bluish gray drop shadow that like clashes so badly with the rest of it yeah and just fucking slam evil slam evil is rough why that no one says that Nothing like why? Yeah, I don't. I don't know slamming? what that has to do with the movie at all. Ugh, they're like, oh, this movie's got to have a tagline: Slam, Slam evil. evil. Intern, what do you got? Uh, <laughs> Slam Evil, <laughs> sold. I feel like the credits at the bottom are taking up an awful lot of room as well. Like it feels like they're a quarter of the height of the entire yeah. poster. If you look back at the shadow, yeah, shadow's half the size. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm with you on that. This one had a website. <laughs> yes, it's bright white at the bottom there. Yeah, huh? Man, that's slam evil. That, I think this is this would doom this movie. <laughs> Millsy, break it down for the people, baby. Uh, well, this particular Rocketeer poster is gonna get uh, five wads of gum on the tail fin mm. of a old timey plane. We didn't even talk about how much I love that 
every bit with the gum. <laughs> yeah, putting it over the hole in the jetpack. Yeah. And I looked it up like Beeman's is actually like lucky gum for pilots. Like, I love it. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, the Shadow, I mean, I really like this one too. It's not as strong of like a poster. It's just like very appealing imagery. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think I'll give it uh, four living daggers <laughs> in the chest of <laughs> Genghis Khan's uh, relative. <laughs> I just, I still can't wrap my head around what the fuck the living dagger is doing in that movie. I mean, that was, I think they really went for it with like connections to the old, it's gotta be, there's no other reason it's in there. I guess so. Not that saying it's a good idea, yeah. but that's gotta be why they did it. Uh, and then, man, I don't know. I think one skull ring burn in the side of James mm. Remar's face for Ooh. the Phantom. Damn. I mean, it's right. like, what is redeeming about it? <laughs> the logo is not interesting looking. It's too small. The actual mm-hmm. image on the poster is pretty lame, uh, right down to the look on Billy Zane's fucking face. The tagline makes no goddamn sense. The whole thing is just like, it's just like a lot of shit crammed in there. It yeah. feels like too busy, even though it's so simple. Mm-hmm. Poor, just poor execution. I don't like the fact that it's so pink looking when his color is purple. That's a good point, too. Yeah. Yeah. Just trouble. It's a, it's a trouble bad a poster. <laughs> So that's how it's going to shake out. It It ruined an entire movie. (laughs) Allegedly. Oh, Millsy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm ready to rock. Oh yeah. I, uh, I know right what I'm doing here. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, I don't think there's any secrets here. Uh, so would you like to go first or shall I? Sure. I mean, easy, breezy, beautiful. The Rocketeer is one of the best movies we've watched for triple threat. Preach. I mean, it's an it's iconic in all the right ways. Bye all day long. Um, I have likes and dislikes about the other two. Does the fact that you actually bought the Phantom factor it all into your rating here? I mean, everything's a factor when you think about it. <laughs> um, see, now oddly enough, I'd buy the other two as well. I don't own any of them, and never now I have because of the show. I have the Phantom. People might call it crazy, but I'm going to borrow the Phantom and burn the Shadow. There's, again, parts I like and dislike. I think, like, ultimately, there's just more fun to be had with the Phantom. I actually like the stunt. Like I said, there's, like, three, like, big big stunt action scenes that I like where Mm -hmm. the Shadow just leaves me, like, scratching my head a lot. (laughs) Which is tough, too, because, like, I love the look of the Shadow. And in the movie, the Shadow, the Shadow himself looks awesome. Like, that's a look, like, a look... And like iconic shapes, I'm gonna like forever. Guy with you know, akimbo guns, the whole thing. Like that stuff, I'm always gonna like. And then you get this like goofiest of goofy spandex on the Phantom. Mm-hmm. But then the reverse is like you know, the movie itself is just there's more fun. More likely to just rewatch the Phantom. Thankfully, I bought it. So <laughs> borrow the Phantom. I'm not gonna toss it in the sun, but something's got to get burned, and it's the shadow. Wow. I thought my choice was going to be controversial, but I pretty much mimic everything you just said. Oh, look at that. The Rocketeer is, as I said earlier, and I truly believe this, for a movie of its type released in 1991, The Rocketeer is perfect. Mm -hmm. 
Like, you do not get a better Rocketeer movie in 1991 than the one that we actually have, which is glorious. So that's my buy. And I thought for sure after the conversation we had that you were going to side with uh, Shadow for your borrow, but for the same exact reason, like, I don't think Shadow or Phantom are great movies, but the Phantom is just way more fun to watch. Like, the Shadow is the kind of movie where I felt myself, like, checking my phone to be like, how much longer is this thing? And the Phantom, like, I would occasionally just think to myself, like, I know this is bad, but I'm enjoying it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's kind of... I mean, I tried not to show my hand too much because I had a feeling you were going to think that for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was kind of just like a. I was surprised. I watched, I watched the Phantom, the Rocketeer, then the Shadow, and I was like surprised. I was like, sure. I was like, oh man, I remember how bad this Phantom looks. I was like, oh, I'm not going to be into this at all. But then, like that first scene with the truck on the bridge, and I'm like, like this is kind of cool. I was like, I'm not hating this, you know. And then. Mm-hmm. Christy Swanson shows up and just kind of counteracts the dullness of Billy Zane. I was like, this this movie ain't all that bad. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Then, Same thing here. Like I said earlier, I had memories of the Phantom being like the redheaded stepchild of this group. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Shadow just failed to impress me or entertain me in yeah. any real way. I think I like the Shadow quite a bit more than you do. But ultimately, like I said, it's just... The head scratching stuff was just like, I don't know. It feels like it, for an action movie, it for the kind of movie it is, it needs more action than it has. Yeah, there's just like some awkwardness, you know. Like the stuff I like, I like, but then it's just lacking in other ways. It's just which the Phantom has that too. But it when like I how did I open this show, Millsy? We're all about the fun here, baby. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and just, Th- that's what it really comes down to for me is like. The shadow is just not fun, whereas the Phantom, for all of its flaws, it's like, sometimes I'm laughing with the movie, sometimes I'm admittedly laughing at it, but I don't know. Which is okay. I find it fun, and I like how fucking weird Billy Zane is in it. I honestly do. (laughs) I ain't gonna knock you for it. Millsy, I now own it, so next time you're here, we might just end up watching Phantom together, just for fun. (laughs) That'd be something if that was like our new new routine. (laughs) Every time we see each other, we watch the Phantom. Yeah. Like, oh, we just got to sit down and draw one night, and we're just going to put the Phantom on. <laughs> Megan will be like, what? I'm like, just don't worry, baby. Just go with it. So, yeah, officially buying the Rocketeer, borrowing the Phantom, and uh, burning the shadow out of uh, necessity. <laughs> burning out of necessity. <laughs> Triple threat theater. <laughs> so. I love it. I yeah. love it. Millsy. Mm-hmm. Nitty gritty. Yeah, boy. How many episodes we got? Uh, we have 236 potential themes just waiting for us to choose them. 236. Here we go. Roll those digital dice. Ooh, Millsy. Mm-hmm. 148. 148. 148. All right. Uh, go ahead and get your guesses in because the general oh. theme for this one should be relatively easy to figure out. Uh, we're going mean, to be, come on people. We're going to be this covering, is lay, this is a layup mills <laughs> to use a sports ball reference. We're going to be covering the theme. One small step. Yes. One small step. I'm excited on the next episode of triple threat theater. Here we go. So stay tuned. Listener, get your guesses in, <laughs> please. And with that said, 
for Triple Dead Theater. I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy.